Jason? Oh, thank you so much. Uh, it is good to see you guys. You know, it's funny that Pierre saying I'll fly away because yesterday on the football field, he was certainly doing that. This man was out there and like you just you saw him start with the ball and then he was gone. And Will Schaefer is rocking an Eagles shirt. Look at that. That is great. Come on, give it up for Will. That is the bomb.com right there. That's awesome. Um, but it's great to be together with you guys this morning. Welcome back from the ACR conference. You guys have a good time? It was so inspiring. Um, for any of you guys that weren't there, uh, we basically had this huge party and you missed out. Uh, but it's okay. You can come next time. Uh, it's only four years away. Um, but we, we got a chance to worship with... Uh, Churches from all over the place, Kentucky, Ohio, you're going to have to help me if I forget one, uh, West Virginia, Virginia, Maryland, Delaware, D.C., Pennsylvania, I think that's all of them, but it was amazing, it was so cool to see what God did, it was a guilt-free conference, which was awesome, uh, they recorded all the lessons, so you have a chance to kind of be a part of the party, if you want to go back and listen, but um, so inspiring, it was so great connecting with old friends, connecting with each other, it was really, really, really awesome, so welcome back, um, and we are going to keep trucking along in First John, so you guys can start turning your Bibles over there, we're going to be in First John 2. And if you guys remember uh, Stephen Wetzel last time, who did an amazing job. Can we give it up for Stephen and Liza doing an amazing job with that communion? That was so inspiring. That was awesome. Um, but last time he came up here, he was preaching and he was like, whose side are you on? Right. And he talked about how John is basically helping the church kind of get bearings on who's in, who's out of the group. And so we're kind of continuing that conversation um, as we go through the chapter here and looking at this idea of the Antichrists. And, uh, you know, there's been a lot of different, like, lore around what that means and what that looks like. Uh, we're not going to hop too much into that today, but hopefully you'll get some helpful insight in understanding that idea and what it means to be on the right side. But um, before we get into any of that, let's pray um, and uh, we will go from there. Um, Dear God, thank you so much, Lord. I'm so grateful to be with my family in Blue Ridge, Father God. Thank you so much for um, just the incredible unity that we get to share with one another, Father God, that you love us so much, Lord. We are dogs, Father God. We are totally undeserving, Father, of your grace, of your love, of your compassion. But I'm so grateful that we're going to be able to fly away to a new home, Father God, that we're going to be able to be with you in such an amazing way and that we are with you right now in such an amazing way, Father God. I pray for all those that don't know you yet, Father God. There's so many more to reach, Lord God. I think about Harrisonburg and Charlottesville and all the towns in between. And Lord God, just how you want every single person, Father, to know you. Um, I just pray that this sermon, uh, Lord God, can just really be from your spirit, Lord. I pray that if there's anything, uh, Lord God, that you want to withhold from my speech, that you do that. And if there's anything that you want to uh, proclaim that I don't uh, I'm plan on saying, Lord, just, just make it clear, Father. I pray that your spirit really can have reign over this. Thank you for these disciples of Jesus, Father God. I'm so grateful for their friendship and their family and their love. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. 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 Awesome. So we are going to be in 1 John 2, verse 18 through 27. We're going to read this in just a second. But I kind of have a question for you guys. So has there ever been a time where you kind of like thought something was true and then you got duped? Like you were like, yo, like, oh, I totally like, for example, Santa Claus, right? Classic. 
It's like, oh, oh, I mean, I mean, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> I mean, yes. So anyways, <laughs> moving on, uh, there's also a time where I was duped as a person. <laughs> Definitely didn't have anything to do with that. <laughs> um, I do have a different example, so we're good. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> that's so amazing. Uh, so, yeah. So this one time, I was in third grade, and I was at my friend's birthday party, right, from school. And it was a bunch of us, it was during the summer, it was my friend, Mike Kairos. And, um, Kairos is like a Greek word, isn't it? Time? Kronos. No, I, anyway, alright, whatever. Alright, so, Mike Kairos, we're hanging out, and it's like 15 of us or something, and we're getting this, like, huge, like, water war going on, basically, right? So we've got, like, all these water guns, all this different stuff, and we're just like... You know, when you're like eight years old and you have a super soaker in your hand, you just feel like you can destroy everything. Like, it's literally like a five mile an hour water blast, but you feel like you are the king of the world. And so I'm walking around and basically like, I can't find anyone. And I'm like, wait, what just happened? And so like, I'm like, and so I'm like, okay, where is everybody? Like, what's going on? And then my, like, best friend at the tent, Jack, he comes up to me. He's like, dude, dude, dude. Like, all right, like, dude, it's you and me. Like, come on, like, let's head over, like, to this other side of the fence. I'm like, all right, here we go. And then I go over there, and, like, everyone's waiting to blast me. And I was just like, no! And I just got, like, totally destroyed by, like, 15 people. And it was like, ah, man, like, I just got so got. And then they just, like, ganged up on me. It was actually, like, really scarring. Because then I, like, went up in this, like, treehouse, and it was, like, 18 kids all shooting at me. And I'm like, I can't do this! Like, but... I felt so duped. My, like, best friend, like, totally led me astray. And I was like, what the heck? Like, dude, you're supposed to have my back. And it's kind of funny, but, like, I think we've all kind of had, you know, relationships or friendships or whatever where, like, maybe even duped isn't the best word. Maybe it's more like backstab, like, right around here or whatever. Um, But where we can kind of just feel like, ah, like... Oh man, like I just feel like I had the wool over my eyes and now it's pulled off and I'm like, oh man, what what just happened, right? And um you know, just to kind of reframe what Stephen uh the context of this book is really really helpful for understanding um just how strong John talks. Um because he's really trying to help people. There's there's a group of people that is basically saying the Christians you're duped. Like you you think that you know, but you don't really know. Um, basically there's this group called the Gnostics. Um, I'm going to keep talking about them because they're awesome. A lot of you have heard about them already, but the, the teaching was basically predicated on three things. Um, just to kind of go over it quickly, basically that either Jesus was not a man or that Jesus was not God, but like both things were kind of true. Basically that either Jesus was just purely a spirit that seemed to look like a man. Um, but he actually wasn't. Uh, and so he never was like crucified, died for our sins, any of that stuff. Um, or that Jesus was a man and like the Holy Spirit like came into him after his baptism and then left before he was crucified. So again, it was like this idea of God really couldn't be something that was fleshly. Okay. That, so that was like the first, first principle. Second principle was basically that the only thing that really matters then is your knowledge. If you have a special knowledge of God, um, kind of like the special revelation, then, then you're good. Then you're saved. 
Okay, and so the Gnostics believe we have this special knowledge of God that makes us good with God, that makes us saved, all that stuff. And then the, the last thing is that the spirit is good, is, is all good, completely good, and then the flesh is bad. So anything that's like physical is, is bad. And so what that would lead them to do is basically just like treat their bodies really harshly, right? Like, like intense fasting, like all this different kind of stuff, like, you know. Because, the, you know, they're like, the flesh is bad. You know, you got to escape from the flesh. But then what it also meant was that, well, the spirit and the body are like two distinct things. And so if I go over here and like sin with my body, then it doesn't really matter because my spirit is still good. Does that make sense? And so there was kind of this division. It was a very hard line. It was like, okay, spirit's good, body's bad. So they don't really interrelate with one another. And... These people originally, uh, what we're going to see in this passage is these are people that have actually come out of the Jesus movement and now are saying that they have this special knowledge. And so you got to imagine if like 20 of us just got up and left and said, actually, we have this special knowledge about God. Like, it's kind of hard to put yourself in their shoes, but it would be like kind of weird, right? Like, it would just be kind of concerning. You'd be like, how do I know that I don't know? And it, it would start to really make you insecure. You know, basically, um, they started their own thing. And now they're saying, you know, you guys, you Jesus followers don't know the truth as we know the truth. You guys, we, we have a special knowledge and revelation from God. And we know that Jesus actually wasn't who you think he was. And they're also saying we're, we're the real deal. Like, we're the real followers. We're the real Christians. We're the real people that are right with God. We know that Jesus really was just a spirit. He didn't come for you. He didn't die for you. And all that matters is that you know how we know. Then, then you belong to the truth. And I think this would have made the disciples really insecure. I think this would have made the Christians really, really insecure during this time. Because they're like, okay, I thought I had things on straight, right? I thought that... You know, I, under, I understood D- Jesus. I put my hope in the salvation. I sold everything. I followed him, right? I've given up everything to follow him. But now I'm not really sure. Was that in vain? Right. Did I actually not really know? Or do I not really know what I'm supposed to know? Um, all my friends seem to know something that I don't know. And I think it would have also made them wonder, like, what's wrong with me, right? And maybe even worse, like, is my life a lie? Like, is the thing that I believe a lie? Is all that I've sacrificed for for not? Am I going to be okay? Is the God and the salvation that I put my hope in reliable? Um, these would have been the questions that would have kind of been permeating the disciples' mind as they're seeing more and more people that were part of the Jesus movement actually become a part of this Gnostic kind of cult, this heretical thing coming up here. And so... Where we kind of pick up here is this really, really tender moment and also urgent moment in John's letter where he's kind of helping people understand who they are and how they fit into this whole thing. And so let's read verse 18. Um, and we'll, we'll start here and kind of just break down and understand what, what John is really trying to get across and what that means for us. It says, Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. 
But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you, will remi- you, will, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. And so we kind of see this language. It's actually pretty cool picking up here. Like this first line is even so powerful. It says, dear children, right? There's this like paternal love and care for, there's this like overwatching as Stephen kind of pointed out last time, he's the last apostle left. He's the last person that walked with Jesus. And so he's like, like my children, like the people that I care about. And he says, this is the last hour. And so it's kind of like, I'm not, yeah, anyway, I was going to make an offer this reference, but you know, like threat level midnight. Yes. Anyways, okay. He's like, it's threat level midnight uh, for any of you guys that get that. But it's the last hour. And so he's like, these people that I really care about, this is the last error, hour. And what he really gets at here is he, he incurred, I think that this would have been a tremendous encouragement to the church hearing this. Because he makes like three things really, really clear that, that actually... You are, I kind of like coined a new term, authentic Christs. Okay, you're going to have to bear with it, but that's the best I could do. Sorry. But he's like, they're the antichrists, right? Like these people that deny Jesus, they're not actually right. You are. Like you have a real anointing. You really know the truth. Um, and I, I want to hit on a couple of these things and how this would have encouraged encouraged them. But the first thing that he said to them was, you know the truth. Right? The Gnostics were saying, we know the truth. We have this special knowledge from God. He's like, no, no, no. You know the truth. You Christian, you know the truth. You don't need someone to teach you. Right? He says, I'm, I'm writing these things to you because you do know the truth. But I'm also writing these things to you because there are people that are trying to lead you astray. Right? There are people that are trying to tell you a false truth. And he says, these people are the antichrist that Jesus warned us about. In John 16, he talks about them as well. He talks about how there's these people in the last days that are going to come and they're going to deceive people and they're going to say that they're the real messiahs and all these different things. And he's like, look, this is the last hour. You should expect this. There are going to be people that parade around with this lie saying that they really know the truth, but you know the truth. They deny him, but you cannot have the father and not have the son. Right? And so he's making it really clear. Like, you know the truth. And then he makes another point. He says, you have a real anointing. You have a real anointing. 
And as I did some research on this, it's actually pretty interesting. In Jewish culture, there were three types of roles that would have been anointed with oil before performing their service to the Lord. And those were prophets, priests, and kings. There's, there's, those three type of roles would have been anointed with oil, right? And it's actually pretty cool. The word Messiah actually means anointed one. And so what he's saying is you've been anointed not with oil, but with the Holy Spirit. You actually have, you remember how they, they thought the spirit was good and the flesh was bad? He's like, you have the real spirit. You've been anointed with the real spirit. And what that means is that you're just like Jesus. Jesus was our high priest. He was the ultimate prophet and he is the king, right? right? And now you, by God himself, have been anointed and now you are the priests of God. You are the prophets that speak the truth to God's people. You are kings, co-heirs, co-rulers with Christ, right? I think this would have been so encouraging for them. He's like, you guys are the real deal. You're the real thing. And then the last thing he encourages them with is, he really remains in you. Now really remain in him, right? And there's this, in John 15, he talks about, It's just cool because it's the same author. And so we see some of these things going back and forth. He's really, in a lot of ways, the sermon builds on what the gospel of John says. Because Jesus says, if you remain in me, I will remain in you also, right? And he talks about, uh, if you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that's cut off. You can't do anything on your own. And I remain in my father, right? And now you remain in me. And so it's, it's really beautiful, this whole picture that's coming together. But what he's saying is, you belong. You belong. He talks about these antichrists, and he's like, they didn't actually belong to us. They may have belonged to us outwardly, but inwardly, they never really belonged. But you do. And then there's this encouragement, keep remaining in him. Keep remaining in Jesus. That anointing remains in you, and it teaches you. You don't need anyone else to teach you. You have the Holy Spirit. He's not saying don't get advice from Christians, by the way. What he's saying is you don't need these false teachers to like instruct you about this special knowledge. You know the truth. You have it. Now really remain in him. You're not the antichrists. They are. And you show the true image of Jesus. And I think for me, honestly, oftentimes I can really underplay the power of having the true gospel message. We have something so special to know the true gospel message of Jesus. That is rare. There's not a lot of people that really know that. Like, do we acknowledge how amazing that is? Like, I think we just forget. And I, I know for me that that's just such a, a temptation. You know, I rem- the, tr- the truth really matters. I think that's what John is getting across here. Like, the truth matters, and you have it. Like, These people that talk about some special truth, they don't really know, but you do. And I think for me, you know, um, honestly, I remember there was a point in my faith where I'd been a Christian probably for like, I don't know, maybe like six years, five or six years. And I just got rocked in my faith where I just felt like I don't really know what I actually believe. I'm not sure if any of you guys have kind of had that moment in your walk with God, but there's kind of a point where you come to where you've grown up believing this thing and then you have to really kind of take a step back and be like, well, why do I believe what I believe? Right. And I remember like so bad, I just wanted to know what truth was. And I was like, okay, like how do I know the truth about God? And 
I'm like, there's so many different religions out there. There's so many different teachings about Christianity out there. Like, how do I know the truth? How do I know that God is really out there? And, you know, something that was so encouraging for me is, like, there's so many religions that talk about who Jesus is, right? Like, Islam talks about him as a prophet. Judaism says he's nobody, right? He's just this person. Uh, Buddhism talks about him as someone that's fully enlightened. Hinduism as one of many gods. And I was like, if I can make a decision about this stonemason that lived in ancient Israel, like, if I can decide what I believe about this guy... It's going to tell me so much about what the truth is, about all these other religions and about who God is and all this stuff. And I would not trade that time in my relationship with God for anything because I feel like that is where I really got rooted in. Jesus is real and he is the truth and there is no one like him, right? Like I can't just have the father if I, if I'm not going to acknowledge Jesus and really let him be Lord. And it also left me with the decision of, do I want to be an authentic Christ, right? Do, or do I, want to, do I want to just play the game and be an antichrist? And I think for us, you know, we live in a world where truth is what you make it to be for yourself. We live in a world that um, seriously underplays the importance of truth uh, when it comes to the gospel, um, Honestly, like we just live in a place where, where truth is relative. What's right for me might not be right for you, and that's okay, right? It's, it's, it's saying, look, I don't have to change the way I am to fit in with your version of truth. Who are you, even to God, who are you to tell me what is true? If I don't like how this church is, then I can leave. I, no one can tell me uh, if I want to believe that I'm saved just because I believe in God, then I'm going to do that right? Like you can't tell me what is true. You can't even tell me what's true about my gender, right? Like I can be like whatever gender I want to be. No one can tell me what is true. And I think we just got to take a step back and say, wait a second, there is a truth about these things, right? Like there is a truth about these things. I'm talking about God here. There's a truth about who God is. We can't decide that, oh, all of a sudden we're, you know, there is no real truth, but I get to decide what is universally true about the universe. That's, that is making a claim. Even saying that all truth is relative is making a universal claim about truth. There is a truth about these things. There is a truth about who God is, what he wants for our lives. I don't get to decide that reality. Now, I'm not saying that, like, we don't have to, you know, seek God, and there's, I think there's a process for that, but there is a truth. And I think, you know, we can't just let society say, okay, well, this is what's going to be true. No, God is what's true, and I'm a human being. It's his universe, his rules, so how does God want me to find him? Yeah. I think there's a humility that comes with the idea of truth, right? I think another, uh, another truth that, you know, Christian community likes to, to posit is easy believism. You believe in Jesus, we're the same. You believe in Jesus, we're the same. It doesn't matter what church you go to. It doesn't matter what your life really looks like. Look, as long as you're a good person, you're going to be okay. A loving God will accept all good people. But what about a godly person? What does that mean? What does it mean to be truly godly? Does that matter? I think so. Absolutely. Right? I think another thing that, it, it just do what's comfortable. Right? It's totally a truth. Like, the amount of discomfort that the early church faced... It's something that should like make us evaluate like how much do we face for our faith? And what does that say? Right? Like we're not that different from the early believers. Like why it, it might be because we're comfortable, 
right? Oh, well, it would be uncomfortable for me to go out of my way to like drive a half hour to midweek. So I'm just not going to go. Right. Or, oh man, well, it would be uncomfortable for me to like have to find another person to take my shift uh, so that I can be at the meetings of the body. I'm not going to go. Or it would be uncomfortable for me to have a real conversation with that brother or sister that is obviously sinning in this way. So I'm not going to do it. Right. Or it would be uncomfortable for me to do it. So I'm just going to have someone else do it. I'm just going to have the ministers do it. Guys, we're, we are called to have the truth and to share the truth in love. Right. It's not that we need to be jerks and like lording it over people, but we have to take a stand against comfortability. Jesus said, you know what his first teaching about discipleship was? Deny yourself, right? Another thing is that everything, uh, another truth that I think our world likes to posit is I'm okay. Everything is okay. It, It doesn't matter. Like I'm okay. You're okay the way that you are. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is that we need God. And we see it in our world more than ever. Like how many shootings are taking place? How much like pornography is just running rampant and destroying the lives of young males all over the country? Like our world is really dark. And we look at the Facebook highlight reel of people's lives and it looks great. But if you dig an inch under the surface, there is so much going on in people's lives that they don't want to talk about, that they don't want you to know. The the world needs the gospel and we have the truth. And I think that's so encouraging and so amazing. Our, our, Our world, the truth is, our world is filled with antichrists, but we have Jesus who has anointed us. And I think about Jesus, you know, the amazing thing is that Jesus is the ultimate priest, the ultimate prophet, the ultimate king. He is the anointed one. He is our victor, right? When it comes to like winning the war for truth in the world. I think about the role of a priest is to intercede between the people and God, right? And a prophet makes the will of God known to the people, right? And and a king means that he rules and is sovereign over everything. And the, Jesus is the king. He rose to the challenge that no man has ever faced and defeated it. Death in and of itself, right? Like there's only one man that has ro- risen from the dead and that is Jesus. And that's the truth. And if that's the truth, that should make us so emboldened and powerful. Like we have the real king. We have the real prophet. We have the real priest that is interceding for us. Like this isn't just some like good religious jargon. This is the reality that we live in. And I think we can just forget how amazing it is that we have Jesus. Like Jesus is God and we have relationship with him. He is the way and the truth and the life. And I think... You know, Jesus being the anointed one in his infinite wisdom chose you. Jesus in his infinite wisdom with all of his glory chose you to be little anointed ones running around and carrying on his presence in the midst of the people. It's amazing. He filled you with the most powerful thing in the planet, the Holy Spirit. We, we, we underplay this stuff so much. We're like, yeah, yeah, I have the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. You have God in you. Use it. It's amazing. It's so encouraging. I think we fight it so often. It teaches us. It trains us. It helps us. Man, listen to it. It's amazing. You are more powerful than anything else. You have God 
almighty, accessible to you all the time. That's amazing. Jesus is amazing. Like, I, we feel like, oh, I'm alone. I don't have any help. How am I going to help? Uh, oh, my gosh. Yeah. we got to open our eyes. We've got something so amazing in Jesus, and he's chosen you. Not because you're amazing, but because he loves you. Yeah. And he's like, if you just get on my side and listen to me, I'm going to use you for greater things than I use Jesus for. Do we believe that? It's so amazing. And I think our faith, we, we got to learn to see as God sees, right? Like these people thought they had this special knowledge, but they didn't have anything. They're, they were going around living like whatever they wanted to do because the flesh didn't matter. And they were just pretending like they knew it all and making other people feel bad. And, and Jesus and John is like, I'm not allowing any of that. You guys know the truth. If you are in Christ because of Jesus, no matter how you're showing up, something that is amazing is you are the real deal. Say that with me. I am the real deal. I am the real deal. In Christ, like that is you. And I think we just got to really internalize that. Like that is the truth. You know the truth and the Holy Spirit is teaching you about all the things and all the ways that you can make him known. And in the truth... We know from John 8, you have freedom from sin. And, you know, I, I think the one, the one encouragement that John gives, and I think the one encouragement that I would give us, is that we must remain in Jesus. We must remain in him. And he, he's like, not that you aren't remaining in him, right? He's like, I, I say this to you because it does remain in you, but just as it has taught you, remain in him. It's kind of like this weird tension, right? It's like, okay, well I have, it is remaining, but also I have to keep remaining. It's like, and I, I think that it's, it's a tough balance. Um, but I, I think the first important point to make about that is that remaining in him implies that you are already in him. And so the question to ask yourself first is what was your beginning in Christ? What was your conversion moment? If it is not the biblical picture of what the conversion moment is in the Bible, then you probably are not a Christian. You are probably not saved. If your pattern of salvation does not match what Peter preaches about in Acts 2 and what we see throughout the whole New Testament, then you are probably not a Christian. You are probably not in Christ, which means that you are the Antichrist, which means that you need to come into Christ because he loves you. But that is the truth. And I think we need to make sure that that's the truth in our mind. I don't care how much Caleb you listen to. I don't care whether you went to Catholic school or not. I don't care whether any of these other things, if you do not have the conversion moment that the Bible talks about, then you are not probably in Christ. And I think that that is something that we really need to to take to heart and to preach. Um, And, you know, I I can look back to my conversion moment. October 10th, 2009 is the day that I went from darkness to light. I got baptized. I repented of my sins. I received the Holy Spirit. And I am a fired up disciple of Jesus that is sinning a bunch, that needs a ton of help. But I'm so grateful that I have God teaching me and I have my incredible family here helping me along in the race. And I think for us, what was your conversion moment? The one who is a liar and does not know the truth does not belong. And the Antichrist is the one that denies Jesus is the Christ. And a question I think that it was really sobering for me to think about is, how do I deny that Jesus is the Christ? 
do I deny that Jesus is the Christ? Because something he talks about in the next chapter is let us not love with word or speech, but in action and in truth. And I think if someone was to take a look at your life over the past month, would it look anything like Jesus's life? When's the last time you asked someone to study the Bible with you and like share the true gospel message? When's the last time? When's the last time that you took on the challenge of confronting someone on their sin in a loving way, but being honest with them, right? And sharing the truth. When's the last time that you served the poor? Right? I think uh, these are sobering questions, but I think it's some, we got to make sure that we keep remaining in Jesus because this is the way that Jesus called us to live. And I think it's, it's something that's so amazing and freeing. And what I'm so grateful for is we have the Holy Spirit that's able to teach us in these things and it's able to train us in these things. And we have the word that thoroughly equips us for every good work. Right? And so we, we are, God does remain in us, but just as he does remain in us, we got to, we got to, more and more, I want my life to reflect what Jesus' life looked like. Every day, I want my day to look more and more like reflecting the life that Jesus has looked like. You know, I think uh, some questions to ask yourself um, about denying Jesus is coming back to uh, the idea of anointing. Uh, as a priest, what mediates your spirituality with God? Is it the word in prayer or is it just religious meetings of the body? What mediates your spirituality with God? Is it Jesus in time with Jesus or just talking about your political views or whatever else or yoga, <laughs> right? Is it the daily verse on the Bible app and worship music or is it actually deep times connecting with God? Um, do you allow yourself to be cut by the truth of the prophet? When's the last time you felt convicted about sin? When's the last time that you were like, hey, I need help, right? Like, oh man, I see this in the Bible and this isn't what my life looks like. I need help. I think that what's amazing is we have so much grace in Jesus. Like God loves us so much. Like he, he knows that we're going to blow it. He knows that we're going to make mistakes. I think that's why we have the Holy Spirit that gets to continue to teach us. But we have to let it, the, the Spirit also convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And so for myself, I got to make sure, man, if I haven't been convicted of my sin in a last time, a long time, maybe I'm just being prideful and I don't see it. Like maybe I need someone else to come in and help me. Hey, I, I haven't felt anything in my relationship with God in a while. Can you help me? I think those are just really helpful conversations. Um, and then I think, you know, the other question to ask yourself is, is Jesus the king of my life? Does anything have a greater say? My schedule, my finances, my kids' time, my time, my, my relationship. Does anything have a greater say in your life, yourself, um, than Jesus as the king? And I think, you know, as we close out here, it is the final hour, and we have to decide who we're going to be. And we live in a world that is looking for truth, and we have to decide whether we want to be antichrists or whether we want to be authentic Christs. But I'm so grateful that Jesus paved the way for us to be able to come in him and that we've got an incredible helper, the Holy Spirit, that's able to carry us along in this journey. And, you know, these people were part of the church inwardly, but their hearts did not belong. What about us? We must remain in him. How do we remain in him? The scripture says that we have, we have to see that what we have heard from the beginning remains in us. And I, I just think, imagine what if we really let the Spirit teach us to remain in Jesus 
and stand for the truth that Jesus is the only way. Like, what if we really let the Spirit just have full reign in our lives and we put down our version of truth and we put down our version of how I want to mediate my spirituality and we put down my title to the throne and we let Jesus take over? What, how, what would that do for this room? What would that do for our community? What would that do for the poor? What would that do? Like, I think it would be amazing. And what I want to encourage you with is just like John said, you guys already are doing these things. You guys are doing these things. Okay. And so like, this is you guys, you are the Holy Spirit field disciples. Let it rain. Don't hold back. It's amazing to see what God does when we just choose to let go. We don't have to be confused. We don't have to be afraid. I'm so grateful to be with the authentic Christ in Charlottesville. I love you guys. Thanks.